Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning. Hey, it works. Right off the bat. Sounds good. Um, I'm way up here and you all are way out there. Um, <clears throat> so, do you guys ever get the, uh, you know, when you see, like, notes, you're like, how thick is that stack? You know, I should, like, put them in here and then bring them out one at a time. Then you don't know how thick the stack is. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, uh, my title this morning, we're going to finish uh, John 11. And um, I titled this message, A Misguided Response to an Unexpected Reality. <clears throat> and uh, you know from last week um, that the unexpected reality was that Jesus uh, did the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And so um, I want to touch on the misguided response that the religious leaders had to that reality. So... Um, the question I have is, is anyone ever here seen a misguided response um, to an unexpected reality? I'm sure you have. Um, you probably have at work. You probably have if you go to school. Um, and oftentimes, these, uh, these, reality, these responses are quite passionate. And sometimes when these responses are passionate... Um, it makes them appear to be, be the right thing to do because people are real passionate about these responses. Um, but just because there's passion behind them doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right response. Uh, for example, at my work, um, my job at my work is to work with suppliers to get parts, piece parts, in to the plant and um, get them inspected, make sure they meet the drawings, and... Uh, and get them put away in what we call stores, which is just, you know, the warehouse, if you will. And then um, as uh, Next Assembly, who is taking all these piece parts and building them up into, you know, something bigger, uh, uh, they, they uh, periodically will, will, will see a piece part as they're building something, and uh, they'll see something on the piece part that they don't like, and they'll make a fuss about it. Okay, and then they'll then they'll scream to everybody and their supervisors and managers and and um, it'll you know with all these knee jerk responses, which I consider misguided responses. Um, they'll be like, "We need to recall everything. We need to recall all the piece parts from stores and wherever they are in the plant, and and we need to take them all back to receiving inspection and and inspect them all over again and and retest them all because they're they might all be bad." You know, and um, if you don't catch, you know, if you don't try to nip that in the bud like right away, you're, you know, you've got just all kinds of work to do and money spent and inspector time and your time and doing recalls and whatnot. And um, most of the time, um, you end up with all the recalls because just people just end up with knee jerk responses, okay, misguided responses. Whereas, um, uh, you'll go out there and you'll see the, the thing that they're making a fuss about and you'll be like, oh, I can explain that. You know, that's really not an issue. Um, or it might just be an issue on that one part. And for, for the majority of the time when you end up with these total recalls and you look through hundreds or thousands of the other parts, you might find one or two with that issue, which really they could just, as they're assembling, 
the next assembly parts, if they come across one like that, they could just go like, we'll just set that one aside and use the good ones. So, um, I mean, really, it's just, uh, it's frustrating, okay? But that's an example of a misguided response. And I want to give another example of one. Um, uh, if anyone has listened to the news in the past 24 hours, uh, yesterday there was an event that took place called the March for Our Lives, um, a student-led response to the extremely tragic school shooting at the high school in Florida that happened last month. And I read a quote from one of the student leaders that went like this, quote, shooting after shooting, people now see the one thing that they all had in common, the weapons. In my opinion, a lot of the activity and energy that is happening since the school shooting incident is not really addressing the root cause. This is just another example of um, a misguided response, in my opinion. Um, I would say that the statement and much of the activity reflects a lot of passion Um, but yet a a misguided response to the unexpected reality of the incident. Um, We have a thing at work where we get audited by the government folks uh, who we share the building with. They'll go through and they'll just audit different parts of our process all the time. And um, uh, when they find something they don't like, you know, they write up a thing called a car. It's it's, it's called a corrective action request, and I'm sure a lot of you guys... in the workaday world, you probably um, have the same type of situation. But what happens is the first thing you have to do when, um, when they write up a corrective action request is you have to um, form the event question. And the event question is like, why did such and such happen? Okay, that's, that's the first question, kind of like, you know, why did this thing happen? And then, um, and then you walk through asking yourself and others involved in, on the team uh, a series of why questions, and that's what they call the, the cause chain. And the point of all this is to get to the root cause. So you kind of go through all these, like, why did this happen? And then why did that happen? And why did this happen? And the idea is to get to all the end of exhausting all the whys, and then when you exhausted all the whys, then hopefully you get to the root cause of why this thing happened. So, so what's sad about what happens from incidents like the school shooting and others like it is, is in my opinion, um, and actually I didn't, I failed to say all the other causes along the way before you get to the root cause, they're called contributing causes, okay? And so like things that happen like the school shooting and, and the responses to it um, are really where people get stuck on the contributing causes. They focus on the contributing cause, the contributing causes, and then they have passionate responses to the contributing cause, like, well, there was a gun involved, you know, or there was this or something else. And that's a contributing cause, but it's not the root cause, you know. And, um, and in our imperfect world, people are, are going to gravitate towards the bandwagon or popular opinion. Um, and for example, um, I was just thinking about this yesterday, and, and um, this does have something to do with the message. So it's not a, uh, in 2016, there were approximately 11,000 deaths from gun violence and 10,000 deaths from drunk driving. And yet, for some reason, there are no student-led marches on Washington, D.C. to ban alcohol. And, um, and you, you know why? And this is just my opinion, but from my perspective, uh, from my unsaved years, alcohol played a big role in not only my life, but all of my unsaved friends in high school's lives. And because in high school, it was the intentional plan of me and my friends every weekend to party and get drunk. Um, we had a term for that. It was called 
let's get wasted. Um, and so uh, in college, it, it, uh, when I was away from home, it wasn't just weekends. You know, we could do it on the weeknights, too, because my parents weren't there. But um, one experience I had from when I was in high school, though, um, was I woke up the next day after a night of partying, and I couldn't remember how I got home. And um, that kind of scared me at that point um, because I drove myself home, but I don't remember how I got home. Um, I mean, I didn't praise the Lord back then because I was an unbeliever, but when I look back on that today, I praise the Lord that um, he allowed me to not kill somebody that night, you know. Um, But I had driven, I mean, I remember thinking back when I had driven alcohol-impaired plenty of times, uh, but that time... That night was over the top. So statistically speaking, how many more people do you think are driving around the streets alcohol-impaired on a daily basis in this country with the potential to harm innocent people than unstable people that have access to guns on a daily basis with the potential to harm innocent people? And um, believe me, I'm not, this is not a political sermon. I'm just making a point here for what we have to talk about today. But do you think any unsaved teenagers and college students are going to start a campaign to ban alcohol in order to save 10,000 lives a year? Not going to happen. The problem, friends, is that people are blinded or just not willing to face the reality of the root cause. And that's what I want to focus on here this morning, which is that the human race is a sinful group of people who are all born in sin and need to be redeemed by the Redeemer, Jesus Christ or else any one of us is ensnared by the devil to do his will. Which, by the way, answers the hypothetical question I just put out there. I didn't put that question out there to pick sides. I'm not interested in political agendas. I put it out there to show that because we are sinners, there is potential for all of us to be deceived by the devil. And those who have not been redeemed by Jesus Christ will not understand the root cause of this and will continue to grasp for straws by going after all of these side issues. Um, so um, I, I, uh, there's a verse in uh, 2 Timothy 2, 24, 26, explains the human condition perfectly and what our response to it should be. And I'm going to read it to you. Um, but it's a good verse to write down, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, because this is how, what our response should be. And really, it'll... it'll It'll probably surprise you. Um, uh, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I praise the Lord that he granted me repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, so that I came to my senses and escaped from the trap of the devil. And I trust this morning that you are praising the Lord for that also. Um, Today we're going to take communion, and this would be a great time to thank him again for that. but it's just it's just neat that um, to know that like um, this is a prayer that we can pray for people. We can pray for our unsaved neighbors and friends, and um, that God will do the work. God will grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, 
um, when we see people with misguided responses to to things, um, and that um, that they will come to their senses because we all have the potential to be deceived by the devil. We all have the potential to be deceived and to be um, uh, taken captive by him to do his will, to do any of these things. And um, uh, so we don't want to do that. So that was the pre-sermon, to lay the foundation of just what misguided responses to reality look like, because that is what we're going to see is what happens in the passage we're going to look at today. Um, uh, and, and it resulted in, in the death of Jesus. Um, uh, so these guys were, were having a, a misguided response. So let's pray as we look into John 11. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Your word is just truth. You are truth. And God, you are, there's really not words you can describe it. Magnificent, you're wonderful, you are awesome. Um, Father, I, I, I just think of the verse uh, this morning that says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And Father, as we just look into your word this morning, and and I thank you for everyone that you brought here this morning, and as we look at your scripture, God, I pray that you would um, teach us how we need to be taught. I pray that uh, you'd reprove us, which is just conviction, that you'd convict us in areas we need to be convicted. I pray that you would correct us, which is to, to set right again, you just set us back right again where we're a little bit, you know, off like a chiropractor does and that you would um, train us in righteousness and um, show us um, where we need to do right from your viewpoint where we might be um, off base and, and going the wrong way. And um, I just pray that you would do that this morning um, as we look in your passage uh, from John 11 here. And I thank you that you will do these things and um, that we have the opportunity to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it's funny, but as elders, we met this week, and, and we were just joking around, and um, I don't know how it came up, but Eric was joking that I was going to talk about numbers and, and numerology or something uh, in the Bible, and I didn't know that I was going to bring this up at the time, but I am going to talk about numbers. And... Uh, <laughs> The numbers that I'm going to bring up is that, uh, um, and, I don't, and I didn't listen to last week's sermon or the week before because we were on a vacation, but, uh, and maybe this was brought up, I don't know, but um, <clears throat> this, the raising of Lazarus, is the seventh miracle recorded in the book of John. Did you guys bring that up? Okay. So, so um, what's interesting is John, this is the seventh and last miracle recorded by John, unless you want to count Jesus rising from the dead, which would be eight. But if you think about it, what's interesting is um, John talks about uh, that there were, there were all kinds of miracles, you know, that he could have recorded uh, so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we may have life in his name. But through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he chose to put seven in his book. 
you know? And um, it's just neat that when you think about that, that, that these ones were the ones that were handpicked by John out of all the other ones. And, um, and I'll tell you what they were real quick. One was he turned water into wine, if you remember, in John 2. Then he healed the official son in John 4. Then he healed the lame man in John 5 by the pool of Siloam. Then he fed the multitudes in John 6. <clears throat> then he walked on water. That was also in John 6. Then he healed the man born blind <clears throat> Excuse me, in John, 11, in John 9. And then he raised Lazarus from the dead here in John 11. And um, if you remember what Jesus said in John 5, 36... He said, but the testimony that I have is greater than John the Baptist. He was talking to the Pharisees here. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. It's like if Jesus were on the witness stand um, in a courtroom and, and someone was going to ask him, how do we know that you're the Son of God? How do we know that you're from heaven, you know, that you, you claim to be this, you know, all he would have to do is just say like, you know, just, you know, I'm just pause for a second. I'm going to show you some video clips. And then he would like show the video clip of turning the water into the wine. Then he would show the video clip of healing the lame man. Then he would show the video clip of healing the blind guy. I mean, he would just, so that, that those, those acts testified that he was who he said he was. And some started believing, but others, you know, refused to believe. And we've, we've been through that. Um, um, so as we've talked, as we've tried to walk alongside Jesus, which I feel like is really what we've been doing as we've gone through John, that's how I felt, that we've really, you know, walked alongside him. Um, we've been teaching through the book. Um, this is a rhetorical question, but has your faith grown um, I feel like I feel like mine has. I feel like I've gotten to know Jesus more as we've been going through the Book of John, um, and that might just be because I'm reading it a lot because I've got to prepare for teaching. But I hope that you all are reading through it. Um, I'm hoping that maybe just you guys coming every Sunday and hearing us talk about the Book of John and what Jesus is doing through all these miracles and his interaction with the Pharisees, I hope that you guys are getting to know Jesus more and more. Because um, if you think about how um, you grow to trust people, um, have faith in people, just in human relationships, um, it comes to getting to know people. The more you get to know people um, uh, from experience, um, you grow in, in, in feeling that they're trustworthy just from getting to know them. And I feel like that's kind of, that's how I feel that my faith is growing in Jesus through this series. And I hope that you all are experiencing the same thing. Um, it's kind of like uh, when I was um, younger and uh, I had a cousin that was like, um, oh, seven or eight years older than I was. So I kind of like looked up to him. And uh, one time we were going to go fishing and uh I was like, where are we going to get worms? You know, he said, like, oh, let me show you this trick. And he, uh, uh, he sprayed the yard with uh, water, with the hose. And he said, like, let's just wait, like, an hour. And then we'll come out, and I guarantee you there will be all the worms we, we want. And I was like, really? So we did. And then just, there were the words, he just, worms. He just soaked the yard, 
you know, and then the, the worms just came up, you know, because they needed air, I guess. And so, uh, so I, I remember when my kids were, were real little, they might not remember it, but, um, I did the same thing. I told them that we could get worms one time. I, we were going fishing somewhere and, um, I don't think they believed me, but, uh, you know, when you, tell someone something and you keep your word and it comes true, then they, 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 you know, grow in faith. Uh, their trust grows in you. And, um, so I pray that we believe and trust the words of our Lord, not just the red letters in the gospel here in John, but his inspired words through all, um, the authors of the New Testament. So let's, let's, uh, dig in here and read John 11. And then we'll look at our passage here. John eleven forty five. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So that day, so that day, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So the first thing I wanted to say was um, we begin by seeing that many believed and it says here, some of, and had seen, because they had seen what he did. All right. But we, we've seen that before, right? Um, uh, and that was his intention, right? That was his intention that they would believe because they saw what he did. Because you see up in, in verse, um, 42, he says, uh, when he prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I, said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So that was an answer to God, to Jesus' prayer. Um, he wanted them to believe because they would see what he did. Um, uh, but of course, other people had um, had been believing along the way. You know, we see that from the other miracles he was doing. You'd see a little... Bits and pieces where people would believe. In John 2.23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That was, you know, probably a Passover that was like a year before, perhaps. And then John 7.31, Yet many of the people believed in him. Um, that was, I think, after the lame man was um, was healed. 
So these people were believing because they were seeing the signs with their own eyes. Um, some might have been believing because they were hearing about these signs from friends. But God preserved these by also having John record them so that others in the future could also believe. <clears throat> and um, I just think that it is it is just so precious that um, Jesus himself um, said in John twenty twenty nine, he said, um, I think he's talking to Thomas um, after he resurrected from the dead. And he said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And if you think about it, I mean, that, that speaks to us. That speaks to us. I mean, we are believing, we are believing and we, we did not see. We did not see him raise Lazarus from the dead. We did not see the blind man get healed. But we're reading about it and we believe. And um, he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Um, so out of the, that list of miracles, um, uh, you know, I think I'd rank this one as number one, you know, right? Uh, raising someone from the dead. Uh, I mean, some of them were pretty, pretty awesome, but raising someone from the dead is probably number one. Um, I think we'd have to agree if we took a poll. Um, but I don't think Jesus just created this miracle because of Lazarus and his sisters. Um, here are some things that I think Jesus was also showing to the people. Um, this is just an observation I was thinking about as I meditated on this verse. Um, his voice had the power to raise people from the dead. He just said, Lazarus, come forth. And out from the dead, you know, comes Lazarus. And that same powerful voice is, I mean, how much power does God have in his voice? How much power does he have? He's got enough power that he created the world, right, with his voice. He spoke it into existence. I mean, that, that, just, that just awes me. Um, he proved to Martha what he told her. Um, he told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. And um, so he proved to Martha what he told her, that he is the resurrection and the life. Um, now she believed him and that she believed that people would come back to life on the last day. Uh, when he first said it, yeah, she was like, yeah, I, I believe. I mean, um, you, you've taught us that people will come back, you know, on the last day. But he's like, no, no, I, I'm the resurrection and the life like now, you know, and and you could tell from the, you know, the way this played out, she really didn't, she wasn't getting that because he was, she was like, wait a minute, no, no, he's going to stink, you know. But it's like, no, he's, he's alive and, and I'm going to call him back from the dead now. Um, and so the other thing is um, I was looking, I was thinking about uh, the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about death um, is is swallowed up in, uh, uh, oh, death, where's your sting? Um, I forget, I'm not thinking of it right off the bat. Death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? And so I, I went and, and wanted to see where that was called out in the Old Testament. And it's from Isaiah 25, 8, and I'll just read it to you. 
it says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God, this is the part I didn't see, and Paul doesn't quote it in, in Corinthians, but it's in Isaiah. It says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And I just was thinking that, you know, again, I think it's neat because I think Jesus is letting the people see a little window of what's going to happen in the future. You know, because he said in the future, I will wipe away every tear. And if you think about what happened here, he defeated death and all of those who were in mourning, all of those who had been crying and mourning over Lazarus' death, their tears ceased, you know, and that is, is, is just a little snippet of what is going to happen in the future. Our tears will cease. There'll be no more mourning, um, and death will be defeated. Um, so, again, I, I mean, I'm probably, uh, I hope you all are getting, you know, as excited as I am, but I'm just excited that, like, if, if you... If you think about it, Jesus could have not done this miracle, right? You know, he could have just said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and, um, and what's going to happen is um, people are going to rise from the dead. You know, after, uh, after you die and, and I come back, uh, you're going to rise from the dead and you're going to be with me forever. He could have just stopped at that, right? And, and we would have just had to believe that and take it at his word, right? But he chose to demonstrate this. He chose to demonstrate that he, he actually raised someone from the dead, and we have that recorded, and people saw it with their own eyes, so we know that he has the power to do it. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's not that like we just have to take him at his word for it. We act, people actually saw him do it. Okay, so I mean that 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 gives I mean that gives us real hope, you know, and that's what is exciting to me. We have real hope that he did it. Um, so um, so let me go on. Um, as we've seen countless times before, whenever Jesus did something, some miracle or something great, the people appear to be divided. Some believed, some. And then some, you know, had a misguided response. And, and this is what happens here, okay? No, no different. So, uh, from the text here, there appeared to be some that took it upon themselves to notify the religious leaders. Um, and you're probably wondering, you know, just like I am, especially from this miracle, right? I mean, this is like the miracle of all miracles. Um, it, it's the people that were right there. But some of them that saw it, obviously, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And, and, and you're probably wondering, how did they just not completely become an all-in follower of Jesus at that point? How did, how did, that not, how did they not? Um, could it be that they were afraid to join in on what they knew was right for fear of the consequences from the popular crowd? You know, I mean, I know that sometimes that keeps us, right? You know, the peer pressure or, you know, we know the right thing to do, but like, uh, there's the popular crowd and I want to be part of the popular crowd. So 
I'm not going to follow the right thing because I, yeah, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. I, I get that kind of like here on some things that we deal with. But if someone was just raised from the dead, you know, it's like, yeah, you almost feel like I would take that risk. You know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, could it be that they wanted to, but they considered their comfortable lives for a moment and then you know, decided against it? Um, I don't know. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Um, so I was reading some commentators um, actually say that the rendering for what are we to do is more accurately stated like, what are we doing? Like saying, we're doing nothing. This has gone on long enough and we can't just sit here and let this keep going on. And actually, if you think about it, you know, all the other times where they're like, hey, we need to send someone out to arrest him. Hey, we need to catch that guy. But, you know, it says Jesus slipped away, right? You're like, how does he keep slipping away? You know, um, so you can, I can, I can kind of buy into what they're saying here about like, they're, they, at this point, they got to be beside themselves saying like, what are we doing? We, I mean, we're, we're, we have got to do something at this point. It's, it's no matter what it takes, we've got to do something to get this guy. Um, because we're losing more and more people. They're starting to believe in him. And, um, and if we don't stop it now, we're going to, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Um, so, um, people saw the glory of God. Um, everyone there that day saw the miracle of God's power at work through the Lord Jesus. Some believed, but some chose not to. Um, and, I guess the only thing I can think of of why they didn't believe is just that, like, it's almost no different than the Old Testament, right? I mean, when you when you when you read the Old Testament, like I do, you you probably have the same questions. You know, these people they saw Moses's face shine. That's pretty miraculous, right? A guy comes down from the mountain and his face is shining. You see a pillar of fire. Like, how, how is that happening? You know, you see a Red Sea parted. You see water come out of a rock. You see bread come down from heaven. You see quails show up at, you know, at night. You know, you're like, um, they were seeing the glory of God in so many ways. And, and there were people that, you know, didn't believe or just, were, you know. So it just, you know, baffles your mind. Um but it's interesting that in, um, does anyone remember a story where Jesus said, um, people wouldn't believe? Um, it's interesting, but, um, it's actually another story about a guy named Lazarus. Okay. And, uh, you know, probably not the same Lazarus, right? But, um, in Luke, Jesus tells a story about a poor guy named Lazarus and the rich man, right? And, um, and Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom and the rich man was saying like, please, Abraham, just let him, uh, let him go back into the world just for a minute and go warn my family, you know, so that he won't have to come, um, experience this, uh, this torture that I'm in, 
Okay? The last verse there says, um, but Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I just think that's amazing. I mean, these people were not convinced, (laughs) even though they saw someone rise from the dead, not convinced. Um, Now, what's interesting is, as a side note, there is just a side note just for, um, I don't know, apologetics purposes, but you see here that the religious leaders believed that Jesus, what Jesus did was for real. Okay, they, they, that drove them to put him to death because they were motivated to not lose the position, the power they had, the lifestyle they had, um, everything they had, their identity, their status, um, their livelihood. They were going to put Jesus to death even though they believed what he did. The works, the signs, they knew what he did. Um, they believed him for real. Um, and yet in our day and time, skeptics dispute Jesus' miracles. Okay, so it's interesting that um, even history here uh, kind of confirms Jesus' miracles in, in that way. And that's what uh, drove them to kill him. Um, so even though they were afraid of losing all these things and they put him to death because of these things, um, let's see, Jesus died around, you know, 30-something A.D., I guess is what they say. Um, do you all know what happened, like, not more than, like, 40 years later? They lost it all anyway, right? I mean, the Jews, they lost it all anyway. Um, and about... 70s in the 70s the romans ransacked jerusalem destroyed the temple and the jewish people were scattered so they were trying to protect something you know and and in the end they lost it all and um i i just said like if we are not careful as comfortable believers in the united states of america we need to be careful i think the lesson we can learn from this is that we don't fall into the same trap as these Jewish religious leaders. And what I mean is that we need to make sure that our identity is rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ above all. Um, These religious leaders, um, they were unwilling to lose their identities and find them in Christ. Um, Their identity was wrapped up in their their nation, in their their, uh, political status, in, in who they were as a people. Um, and Jesus said, if you save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And if our identity is in Jesus, <clears throat> in this country, you know, we, we, we have, we're pretty comfortable, you know, as American Christians. Um, but our identity needs to be in Christ, rooted and grounded in Christ. It, it's, it should not even be grounded in the American, in American patriotism. It's uh, our identity is not in the Bill of Rights. Our identity is not in the Constitution. Um, I'm not, these things aren't bad, and it's not that we aren't thankful um, for them. In fact, I mean, in God's providence, he chose that I would be born in the United States of America and not in Africa or China or somewhere else in my time in history. Uh, but after turning to him in 1983, 
my identity is now wrapped up in him, and that's where he wants it to be wrapped up. And um, so what do I want to be known for? I want to be known for my identity being in him and being a follower of him. Um, so one, one other thing from the passage here is, uh, even though I said many times that uh, they put him to death, um, God, through the inspiration of God, John buried a little passage in here in, in, in verse in verse uh, 51, where Caiaphas then now speaks after they were all talking, and he says, he did not say this of his own accord. When he talks about, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And it says, he did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And um, I just wanted to point out that um, I think God had John places here because God just wanted to prove that he's still the one in authority of what's going on here. And in the middle of the wickedness, that all the men in this passage could muster in the middle of them taking over and dictating what was going to happen in their minds, God takes their actions and their words and he uses it to reveal his plan and his glory. Uh, This has one meaning for those who are against Jesus and a completely different meaning for those who belong to him. And so um, uh, I think that's just... um, Need how again it just shows the providence of God, it just shows the providence of god and 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 again, when I talked at the beginning about increasing and growing our faith, right, I mean this should grow our faith, right, because we see we know more about Jesus, we know more about God that he is providential through these men 's wickedness, God still was in control of what 's going on. You know, uh, they thought they were planning something. So, you know, as in our lives, when, when something goes on and we think like wicked people do something to us and kind of like the whole Joseph thing about they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I mean, we need to have that understanding and, and, and that, that type of faith that we understand that God is the one who's in control of everything. So, um, so if John 20, 30, 31 is the theme of this book, which we've talked about many times, that those who believe, if we believe, you'll have life in his name, and that, and that John wrote these book, this book and gave us, showed us all these miracles, signs that Jesus gave, that we would believe. Um, then John 1, 9 through 11 is probably the theme of this book for those who don't. And it's really a sad theme. And John 1, 9-11 says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. And really, that is a very sad truth, because his own people had a misguided response to Jesus' reality. And unfortunately, I mean... They still have that response today, except for ones that, that God has, you know, in his mercy saved. Um, 
but that's that's just a sad a sad truth. Um, but I don't want this to be a downer time. Um, we can celebrate and rejoice that Jesus opened our eyes to the gospel, um, and we want to celebrate that this morning with the communion time. And um, if the deacons could come forward, uh, what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to ask them to pass out the bread and the cup at the same time. And I'm just going to say a few words um, as we remember the Lord's death until he comes. And as, um, so you guys can go ahead and, and do that. Just pass out the bread and the, and the cup. And, and I'm going to just talk as, as you guys can can just listen as they're passing that out. And um, um, it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, um, do this in remembrance of me and, and remember the Lord's death until he comes. And so I was, I was meditating on that a little bit. And um, the Lord's death, okay, well, what's the Lord's death? And, and you think about, well, it's really like, what are the implications of his death, okay? Um, well, the gospel, right? And, and sometimes you think of like the gospel and is, is it, oh, what's the gospel? Is that a hard thing? Well, no, you just got to go to 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul said, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, uh, which also you received, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast the word, unless you... And he says, the gospel is simply this, that Christ died for your sins, that he rose again on the third day um, in fulfillment of the scriptures. Actually, I uh, <laughs> he died for your sins, um, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day in fulfillment of the scriptures. And, and um, he actually died uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and um, believing in the gospel for us is such a blessing. Why? Because this is, these are the implications of his death for us. We are redeemed. Our sins are forgiven. We have a relationship with God. We will spend eternity with him. We have peace with God. We are justified. There is no condemnation for our sins. And I put out that passage on Facebook last night, and I just want to read through it. Um, and then we'll uh, partake of the bread and the cup. Um, <clears throat> for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. And that word propitiation means it, it appeased, it appeased God. I mean, it, it, uh, Jesus' blood dying for us appeased God. It, 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 it satisfied God to be received by faith the gift. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
then what comes of our boasting? It is excluded. And I think what's so neat about that is he's just talking about um, that it, 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 we, we are just and we are justified by the one who has faith in Jesus. It's that simple. And there is no boasting. There's no boasting because it's just by trusting in Jesus and, and trusting in, um, uh, in, in that he died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And that's what we celebrate this morning. That's what we celebrate in communion. And, and it, it's a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time to celebrate. Um, and I love how Paul says um, uh, that the gospel is, um, the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. Um, he says that actually a couple times in, in early on in Romans, that God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. And to me, that means that like, it was the right thing to do. God did the right thing. Uh, um, in, in the gospel. He, he did the right thing um, by sending Jesus down to redeem us. And all we have to do is have a right response to him, not a misguided response. And so um, let's just, um, if I could have um, Russ, if you could just pray for us, and then we will just partake of the bread and the cup. So if you could just pray and thank God for his, his uh, body and blood for us. We can partake. Praise the Lord. Um, so um, I wanted to mention, just as I was mentioning about just that simple faith, um, for those who, who don't know, um, Alex Williamson um, uh, put his simple faith in Christ here uh, just recently. So you all can... Um, just rejoice with him um, in becoming uh, a new child in the kingdom of God. Um, so as you get a chance to do that, you know, um, do that. And um, so let's uh, go on to our next uh, times in Children's Church and our application time.